0: The Apostle Paul laid before his friend and young pastor a sacred trust by saying, O oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Paul refers to this solemn charge at least 10 times in First and 2 Timothy. A pastor must know that he is guarding a sacred trust when he leads a church. That means guarding public worship, church leadership, good doctrine, and good behavior. He must also guard himself and others in the church because a spiritual battle awaits the man who guards a spiritual deposit, and it will not be easy. Again, Paul charges Timothy to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm Ron Jones and this is Something Good.
1: The gospel of Jesus Christ is a sacred trust, one that should be protected, carefully guarded against any doctrine or any teaching that runs contrary to it. Hello, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for being here for this Wednesday edition of Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones. Well false teaching in the church is nothing new. It's been around almost since the day the church was born and it's still prevalent today. How do we guard against it? Find out next as Ron continues his teaching series, Route Sixty Six: The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. Stay right here or listen to the broadcast on demand from our website, SomethingGoodRadio.org. Download or subscribe to the podcast at Spotify, at Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's Ron with part two of his Something Good Radio message: First Timothy, guarding the sacred trust
0: you got to get into the spiritual gym. you got to stay spiritually fit and work out your salvation. This is where the spiritual disciplines come in, like prayer and Bible study and Scripture memory and being in church on Sunday, vitally and deeply involved in a local congregation in the household of God, worship, giving, serving, and a whole lot more. And doing all of that, which can be a sweaty affair sometimes, Doing all of that in cooperation with the Holy Spirit. We walk by the Spirit and live by the Spirit and so forth. Paul ends chapter 4 with the kind of motivating words that you might hear from a spiritual coach or a personal disciple maker. I love this. Follow along as I read beginning in verse 11. He says to Timothy, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, he says, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture. I, I've always taken that to mean, boy, I, we need to have scripture reading in our services. If for no other reason, sadly, it's, it's the only scripture some people have heard all week long. And the public reading of scripture, it, it, it does something to hear it audibly. We, we hear it differently. He says, give attention to that and to exhortation and to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. And then he says, keep a close watch on yourself, Timothy. Guard yourself, Timothy. And keep a close watch on the teaching Persist in this, he says, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Do you hear the apostle Paul, like a personal trainer, just urging him and coaching him and instructing him? Timothy, guard, guard the sacred trust that has been given to you. And we'll come back to this in chapter six, but first by guarding yourself. Keep a close watch on yourself. That's true for any leader in the church. Wherever you have your hands and your feet involve serving in the church, guard yourself first. Know whose you are, what Christ has done for you, and what we stand for as a church. And don't do anything that might bring embarrassment to yourself or to the God of the household. That starts by guarding yourself. We'll come back to that. Chapter five, we're talking about guarding good behavior. And he starts some of that in chapter four, but good doctrine should lead to good behavior among God's people, right? We're just not listening to this to fill up some notebooks know our head and have knowledge, but knowledge that reaches into our heart and transforms us and into our hands and feet that we put this into practice. In chapter five, Paul encourages Timothy to instruct various groups within the church family to engage in good behavior. Do you know how you ought to behave in the household of God? He instructs older and uh, men and women, younger men and women, widows. Interesting, he addresses at length a group of widows, and elders, he goes back to the elders of the church, the leaders. Now apparently there was a problem in the church related to the care of widows, which prompts Paul to give pretty lengthy discussion from chapter five, verse three, all the way through verse 16 to widows. Keep in mind that in the first century, The widows were the poor of the poor, because in that culture, there was not, upon the husband's death, the legal transfer of the family assets to the wife. No, she was out on her own. And so widows in this culture were the most needy and the poor of the poor. And there was a list of widows that was growing at the church, and widows saying, we, we need care, we need instruction, we need help, we need, we need physical and monetary help. And so Paul, Paul addresses this, and if I could just summarize, on the one hand, the church should care for and honor those who are truly widows. He says that. On the other hand, he says, and I quote, if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents for this is pleasing in the sight of God. If I could be so crass, Paul is saying, don't just dump the widow on the doorstep of the church, family, you have a responsibility here first to care for a member of your own family. Beyond that, if the church can assist, we will. But there were some that were taking advantage of the situation. There were some extended family members that wouldn't help the dear widow in their family. And Paul says, no, the responsibility is with the house first. Then you bring them to the house of God. In all things related to those who need care, the church should use discernment. Paul says in verse 16, for some, some of those who are on the list have strayed after Satan. We have some safety net ministries in our church, our benevolence fund. Uh, We also have uh, our food pantry. And our teams that uh, reach out and care for people who are truly in need um, understand they need to do that with discernment, because some people know how to work the system. Okay, I could tell all kinds of stories over 30 years of ministry of people who just kind of bounce around from church to church with their handout. And our teams know we're not in the business of enabling by giving just handouts. We want to give a hand up. Right? And we wanna be there to serve the needs beyond what the family itself can do. All those things come into play when you're caring for those that are hurting the most in any congregation. Paul's instruction there about widows is very applicable uh, to a number of situations there. Uh, He goes on in chapter five to talk about how the church should also honor pastors who serve well, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Can I get an amen from somebody here? I've been waiting for this one. No, not really. I've actually been a little bit nervous about this because, you know, I mean, here it's in the text and I'm a pastor who needs to talk about what Paul said about honoring pastors. And it sounds a little bit self-serving and I don't mean that at all. I have no complaints here. I'm well taken care of. Our staff is well taken care of uh, financially and otherwise. Our elders uh, do a great job of that. But in the first half of the verse there, Uh, Chapter 5 and verse 17, Paul says, let the elders, the pastors uh, in our context, the vocational pastors say, who rule well, be considered worthy of double honor. The phrase double honor there is a financial term. And here's what Paul is saying. Pay your pastors well. Now, there are extremes on either end. There are extremes where, you know, a pastor might make... Way too much money, it's ridiculous, he's got a 10,000 square foot house or whatever it might be, come on now. And then there are extremes on the other end, neither of which are found in this church. Again, I just, I just want to be transparent here. We're well taken care of here, but not to one extreme or the other. But I've also spoken to church uh, search committees and you know, groups, elders in the past, not here but elsewhere where you get the distinct impression they think it's their job to keep the pastors poor and humble. And they're not even up to standards, you know, national standards and salary standards for other churches of their size. Run from a church like that because it's usually reflective of other things that we wouldn't agree on anyway. I always say with any of our staff, let's err on the side of generosity. You can never go wrong there. Hire well, pay them well, and expect a lot. All right? That's, you know, it's easy to get lazy in the ministry. No, we're not going to go that direction. We're going to hire well some of the best and most talented people we can find, pay them well, you know, for a church of our size, and then, you know, we work hard. It ain't just a -a 40-hour-a-week job. I can guarantee you that. Um, Paul goes on to reach into the Old Testament to justify this and he says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Okay, enough on that. But he also goes on to warn in verse 19, do not admit a charge against an elder, a vocational pastor or an elder, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now he moves from a financial term to legal language and a culture that may bring charges and accusations against the leader that sometimes come out of, you know, all kinds of directions. In other words, what Paul is saying is any accusation of wrongdoing against a pastor or elder should come with the kind of evidence that stands up in a court of law. And the church should not tolerate frivolous, baseless, and graceless accusations against its leaders which are characteristic of the cancel culture in which we live today and of the accusation culture that we're all dealing with today. Anybody can fling an accusation at anybody today, and you may be able to defend yourself in a court of law, but then there's the court of public opinion. And as one person said years ago, I was reminded this morning, where does somebody go to get their reputation back? after the court of law has said, you were defamed. Still ahead, the
1: second half of today's Something Good Radio message with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. If it's been a while since you stopped by our website, somethinggoodradio.org, you may want to pay us a visit. We've released a new streaming platform for Something Good Radio and Something Good Television, SGTV. You'll also find Something Good Travel, Something Good Courses, and the new Something Good Digital Library. That's where you can search for biblical answers to your questions from nearly 30 years of Ron's Bible teaching ministry. Watch, listen, and download for free. That and a lot more is available now at somethinggoodradio.org. We have a great resource to share with you today, yours as our thank you for your donation to Something Good Radio. Dr. Ron Jones has written a downloadable ebook that goes along with his current series, Route 66 The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible. The latest in this series of ebooks is based on the Pauline Epistles. Request your download today for your donation to Something Good Radio. Donate online at somethinggoodradio.org or mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. Now here's Ron with the rest of today's Something Good Radio message. 1 Timothy, Guarding the Sacred Trust.
0: This is inside baseball talk, right? It's inside the household. How you ought to behave in the household of God. Listen, if something doesn't go your way, that doesn't mean you just fling an accusation, baseless, graceless, because you're mad at somebody. And we don't tolerate that. There are channels with which to do that and accountability, but bring the evidence. If it's just off, you know, well, uh, no, we don't listen to that. That, That's how the world operates. And that's the the accusation culture we're in today. Remember this the devil is called the accuser of the brethren. And he is running wild in our culture today with all kinds of reputations or accusations, rather, that are destroying reputations and destroying careers, not just of pastors, but of any old Joe out there who gets an accusation thrown against him. Some of them legitimate. And they're found out to be true. That, that's, that's one thing. But the baseless ones and the graceless ones and the frivolous ones ought not to be a part of the household of God. Enough said. Glad you're still with me and sitting here in the church and not, not exiting the back of it. Uh, now we're in uh, chapter 6 where the Apostle Paul charges uh, Timothy about guarding the sacred trust. And, and he ends with some interesting uh, instructions here, kind of under the heading of guarding yourself and guarding others. There's some instructions to masters and servants in that culture, employers, employees in our culture. Uh, Some more instruction about false teachers. And then he urges contentment in all things. Uh, Some of the the best teaching that the New Testament gives on matters of just contentment. And along with that, he offers this warning about money beginning in chapter uh, six and verse 17. He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I know people who say, yeah, preach it, Pastor, money is evil. No, it's not. Money is neutral, and money can be used for a good thing. It's good to have money and to have a lot of money as long as money doesn't have you. It's the love of money that is the root of all kinds of evil. He goes on to say, it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. He goes on to give specific instructions to those he says are rich in this present world. Now we always define rich as the person who's on the next rung up from us on the economic standard, but come on folks, relative to other people around the world, we're rich. We 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 have so much in this country, we are so blessed. Charge them who are rich in this present age to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. That's why I I never apologize about encouraging all of us, including the Jones family, to grow in the grace of giving, the giving of our time, our talent, and, and yes, our treasure. Grow in that. Become more generous this year than you were last year. Figure out ways to do that. Because God so loved the world that He gave. He gave. And finally, Paul reminds Timothy that guarding the sacred trust is a spiritual battle. It will not be easy. He comes back to that phrase, you know, wage the good warfare, only now fight the good fight, he says. In verse 12, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. He charges Timothy one more time, he says, keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit that was entrusted to you. Do you know, child of God, how to behave in the household of God? There's so much at stake. There's so much at stake for every one of us, leaders especially. And the first thing a pastor or a spiritual leader, lay leader, vocational, whatever, must do is guard his own relationship with God. Didn't he say that back at the end of chapter four where Paul says, keep a close watch on yourself, Timothy. Keep a close watch on yourself. We have this kind of conversation on our church staff often, and Pastor Scott does a good job of reminding us in our ministry team meetings, hey, guys, are are you in the word? Are you spending time in prayer, your personal devotional life? And the reminder that what we do as pastors, as leaders, even as lay leaders, should be the overflow of our relationship with God. Because if you're not filling up, okay, ministry is about giving out and before long, there's an imbalance, and there's a shipwreck, and before the shipwreck, the swerving, okay? And we want to avoid that. Perhaps the best way to guard the deposit entrusted to us is to remember whose you are, what Christ did for you, and what we stand for as the church of Jesus Christ, His church, the church that He said, I will build, He takes full responsibility for it because he is the head of his church. He is the chief shepherd. And every one of us have a responsibility one day to answer to how we behaved in the household of God. The standard for leaders is greater than others, perhaps, but all of us have a responsibility. And before we swerve here and Get upset about this and fire off about that. Just, just take a breath. Take a step back. Read first, Timothy. and just let Paul's charge to Timothy bathe you. Oh, Timothy. Oh John, Oh Mary, do your part to guard the deposit entrusted to you until He comes and calls his church home so that we can all stand before him and he says, well done. Well done, Atlantic Shores. Well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear well done as much as you do.
1: Thanks so much for being here for today's Something Good radio message, First Timothy, Guarding the Sacred Trust. Dr. Ron Jones joins me now, and Ron, let's talk a little further about false teaching in the church. People like you are trained in sound biblical theology, but many are not. A new Christian, for example, or someone who is maybe a couple years into his or her Christian journey, how would you help them recognize false teaching when they hear it?
0: That's a great question, Brian. You know, I'm always reminded of the government employees who are trained to recognize counterfeit bills. Uh, They don't study all the variations of funny money. In fact, they study the real thing and learn it so well that they can recognize a fake immediately. And so the first thing I'd say is to know the Word of God. Uh, Get to know it intimately so that you'll know the truth so well that you'll spot false doctrine as soon as you hear it. Now, for some, as you said, that's going to take a little bit of time. Some of the false doctrine out there is subtle and can be difficult to immediately identify, even for those who have walked with Christ for some time. But some things um, are quickly learned and identified. For example, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. Any teaching that includes human effort as part of the salvation process should be readily dismissed. Uh, The Catholic doctrine of purgatory, for example, is one such teaching. It is said that some people go to an in-between place after they die until they are good enough to enter heaven. Well, that is heresy because it means something other than what Christ has done combined with our faith in what Christ has done is necessary for salvation. So know know the doctrine found in the Word of God, and also know what Jesus himself said, because anything that contradicts his own words is a false teaching. For example, some say that uh, all religions lead to the same God. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So any doctrine that puts Jesus on the same level as another religious figurehead is patently false. One last thing, Brian, it's up to us as pastors or elders or deacons or mature believers in Christ who have been in the word for quite some time to pass along what we know to new believers in an effort to help them stand firm in their faith. This is the sacred trust to which I referred over the past couple of days. I wish I could say more, uh, but for now, I'll just leave it there. Know the Word of God. Talk to other believers in Christ who know the Word of God. Do that. And that's a great starting point for identifying and quickly rejecting false doctrine.
1: That's Dr. Ron Jones with some final thoughts from today's message, First Timothy, Guarding the Sacred Trust. So, Ron, before we sign off, tell us where you're headed tomorrow as you move ahead in your series, Route 66, The Ultimate Road Trip Through the Bible.
0: Yes, Brian. Well, the next stop on the ultimate road trip through the Bible is, of course, 2 Timothy. Now, chronologically speaking, this was Paul's last New Testament epistle. It precedes Titus and Philemon in the New Testament canon, but this was Paul's uh, final published letter, and it was written near the end of his life. And one of the major themes in 2 Timothy is the idea Of finishing well. Now, Brian, you've heard me say many times that last words are very often some of the most important words. And so I'm looking forward to taking us through the book of 2nd Timothy over the next couple of days because, well, there's plenty of practical lessons that can help all of us to not only run the Christian race, but but finish strong.
1: It all starts tomorrow when Dr. Ron Jones shares his message, 2nd Timothy, keeping the faith. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis. Thanks for listening.